Today's daf is Kafkimel in Masechet Betza. We are on Kafkimel Amud Aleph. We are nine lines down from the top of the Amud. Darash Rav Gvihab mi Beikatil. Rav Gvihab from Beikatil was teaching a Pichad Be Reish Galuta at the door of the house of the Exilarch, the Reish Galuta. Ketorah He said, Ketorah is allowed. This is what he taught, but nobody knew what Ketorah was. So Amale Amemar, Amemar said to him, My Ketorah, what do you mean by Ketorah? I Ketorah be a day, if you don't, or it said, or Birei. If you're talking about the Ketorah of Birei that you, that you do for, um, stockings and things like that, the type of tying that is done as, uh, uh, a part of the, um, part of the production of different kinds of, uh, sleeves and, uh, and uh, the legs of, of clothing and such and so on. So ma'ase umanu, that is a professional act that is part of producing clothing, and for sure it's prohibited on Shabbat and Yom Tov. And if you're talking about smoke, meaning uh, that you, you want to place bisamim, you want to place fragrant spices on the fire, on the coals, and by them becoming burnt up, they're going to create smoke that then is going to inject uh, a, a fragrance into fruits or whatever you suspend over the fire, Asur, that should also be prohibited, because he extinguishes the coals by putting the bisamim on them. Even though afterwards they flare up again and burn up the bisamim. And really, smoking was what he meant. Not smoke, smoking cigarettes, of course, but meaning creating the smoke, fragrant smoke, and injecting the, the fragrance into the fruits. Just like we see that you can put meat on the uh, coals, and the meat will drip on them, and the coals will get extinguished a little bit, but ultimately it's allowed to uh, cook the uh, meat over the coals. So too, you should be able to cook the bisamim over the coals. Um, according to the second version, Amimar said the same opening uh, challenge. Uh, if ketorah, that you're permitting, means making clothing, well, for sure that's a professional action and cannot be permitted. And if you're talking about smoking up with, uh, with fragrant incense, so that's creating a smell and a fragrance in the fruits. It should not be allowed. I said the same thing, and in the name of a great person, I said it. That we're talking about uh, really creating smoke. And just like you're allowed to place meat on the coals on Yom Tov, and it's no problem, you're also allowed to uh, place bisamim on there, even though the meat creates a smell also in the uh, in the charcoal because it will it will absorb the smell from the meat and we don't mind that. So too are we allowed to put bisamim on the uh, on the coals and allow them to create a fragrance and it's not considered a problem on Yom Tov. You're allowed to cook the sheep in the same way that they would cook the korban pesach. That was what Rabban Gamliel said, meaning a whole sheep or a whole goat with its innards next to it. Tanya Rabbi Yosi Omer, Todos ish Romi and Nigit ne Romi, Lechol Gidimikolas Belele Psachim. Todos, the man of Rome, uh, taught the people of Rome to eat just such a uh, goat or a sheep that was uh, roasted whole in that way on the night of Pesach. In other words, as a remembrance of the Korban Pesach. Shalchule, the rabbi sent the message to him, Ilmale Todos Atav, you're not such a, an important person. And then Gozanu Alechani, we would have excommunicated you. Shatam Achil Meisal Kodeshim Bchutz, because you are feeding the Jewish people Korbanot outside the Beit Hamikdash Kodeshim. Really, you think that he's feeding them Korbanot? Ela Ema Ke'en Kodeshim. Rather, it seems like it. It looks like it that uh, people are going to think that they're making sacrifices outside the Beit Hamikdash, and they are 
practicing the um, the uh, Korban Pesach even today, and therefore you shouldn't do that because it's misleading. The perception is the wrong perception. But they didn't excommunicate him because he was such a great man. And obviously he didn't have any ill intention. Now the Mishnah says, There were three things that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah permitted, but the Chachamim Osrim, they prohibited. First of all, his cow would go out with a strap between its horns, which was a decoration. And he said that you're allowed to scratch, basically to comb the, uh, uh, the animal on Yom Tov with a fine comb, even though it could create sometimes create uh, cuts and draw blood inadvertently. You're also allowed to grind up pepper in their own uh, container, special uh, grinder on Yom Tov. You're not allowed to comb the animal with this kind of a comb on Yom Tov because it creates a wound about Mekartzavin, but you can do Mekartzavin, we'll see what that is in the Gemara. The rabbi said you can't do either one. So according to Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, you're only allowed to uh, uh, to do whatever Mekartzavin is seemingly, but not the Mekardin. And according to Rabbi Yudah, you're not allowed to do the Mekardin, and according to, uh, uh, but you're allowed to do Mekartzavin. And... Um, and, uh, and according to Chachamim, you can't do either one. So according to Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, both are allowed. According to Rabbi Yudah, one is allowed. According to Chachamim, neither is allowed. Are you telling, it said that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah's animal, his cow would go out with this uh, strap between its horns. Now the whole issue is, is that considered putting a burden on the animal on the Yom Tov? Do we say that it's a decoration for the animal so it's allowed or do we say that it's really a burden for the animal because the animal doesn't have any interest in having a strap between its horns, so therefore it's considered to be a burden, and it wouldn't be allowed. And that was the machlok between Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah and the rabbis. So what is that? But why did it say his cow would go out with a strap? Didn't Rav say? Some say it was Rav Yudam. Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah would bring as a tithe twelve thousand calves every year. So that means one tenth. So that means he had uh, much, much more than that. Meaning he had 120,000 because he gave only 12,000 as his maser. And so what do you see from, so he must have had more cows than just once. What do you mean his cow went out with a strap between its, uh, its horns? Tana, lo shiloita, because it wasn't actually his cow. It was actually his neighbor's cow. Since he knew that she was doing that, she was going around with her cow uh, with strap between its horns. Since Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah thought that was okay, he didn't say anything, so it was attributed to him. It was considered, quote-unquote, his cow, and he was, so to speak, responsible for the fact that uh, that it went out in that manner on Shabbat. Now, the, the Tosafot here asks, how could it be that Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah brought Maser Beima? There was no Maser Beima by the time that Rabbi Elizabeth ben Azariah lived, which was long after the times of the uh, of the um, Bet HaMikdash. So... Uh, Meaning that he lived, uh, he, he was in the, as uh, Tosafot says, that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah lived after Chobana by, by Lot, because Rabban Gamliel was the Nasi before him. Rabban Gamliel was after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, because Rabbi Yochanan, Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai was before him. So, uh, so we know that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah lived later. So one of the possible explanations is that it was somebody in his family that it's referring to that was prior to him. Or it could be that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah here wasn't bringing maser, the halachic maser, but it meant that he had to pay in taxes that much. So if he had to pay in taxes, 12,000 uh, calves to the king, then that means that he had quite a lot of animals. Now, the Gemara goes on that you can do mikardin, but not 
the question of Makardin versus Makartsafin, then Rabbanan is all Kirud versus Kartsuf. What are these two processes? Kirud, Ktani, Vosin Chavua. When you do Kirud, what you're doing is you're using a very fine comb with very, uh, with very, uh, um, sort of, uh, sharp, uh, sharp, uh, uh Pieces on the on the uh, on the brush, and therefore it will make cuts. The the kartuf is, has wider um, teeth, the brush, and therefore it doesn't make a cut in the animal. And there's three positions. According to Rabbi Yehuda, we know that whatever you do on Shabbat, even if you don't intend it, you're liable for it. So therefore, he said, look. Even though I hold that you're not allowed to use this kind of a brush that has the fine teeth because it's going, because it could cause uh, bleeding and then you're going to be liable for it, even though it wasn't your intention. But when it comes to the wide tooth uh, comb, I'm not going to make a zira that you shouldn't do that because you might come to use the fine tooth. The rabbis agree that what you're not that what you don't intend, you're still responsible for because when it goes to vatu kavod. But they said that if you we make a zira that don't comb the animal with the uh, wide-toothed um, uh, uh, brush, because you might come to use the fine-toothed brush. And then you have, finally, Rabbi Elizabeth Nazari, Shimon, Uven Karud Ven Kartsuf Sharei, and then Rabbi Elazar Ben Azariah says, "We hold like Rabbi Shimon, which is that Tavashi Nomit Kavin Mutar, that anything you don't intend, you aren't liable for, and therefore you're allowed to do any kind of these brushings because none of them do you intend to produce any bleeding." Why does the fact that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah agree with Rabbi Shimon strengthen Rabbi Shimon? We could say the opposite. The fact that the majority of Chachamim agree with the other position shows that uh, that the other position is correct, that Rabbi Yehuda's position is correct, and we should be more strict. He said, it's not that my only reason for saying that Rabbi Shimon is right is that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah agrees with him because then he would say that Rabbi Yudah is more right because most of the Chachamim agree with them. Rather, know what it means is that he said, I hold like Rabbi Shimon to begin with, so therefore I would follow halachically Rabbi Shimon's position. And moreover, I have a source because Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah agrees with me and that's the, uh, the, the way to read that point. Now, Harichan Shopilpilin, it's me'ah, mishum shlosha kilim, we turn to Amud Bet, that the uh, grinder of the peppers can become tamei because of three kilim, mishum kli kibul, mishum kli matechet, mishum kli kvara. There are three parts to the grinder. Um, the, uh, and on any one of them, the uh, tuma can be contracted under a different heading, either because it's a receptacle or because it's a metal vessel or because it is a kvara. It is a, uh, the, the filter of the, uh, of the machine also uh, was mikabil tum'ah. So well, that also means Rashi. So Tosafot says that if one becomes Tamei, the other one doesn't automatically become Tamei because they're three independently susceptible items. The Gemara says Tana Tachtona Mishum Kli Kibul Emtzait Mishum Kli Kvara Elyonah Mishum Kli Matechet. The top part of the grinder is uh, potentially Tamei because it is. I'm sorry, the bottom of it because it it receives the ground pepper. The middle because of a sieve, and the top 
because of klimatechet, because there was metal there, and uh, that's what uh, can receive Tumah independently. Rashi explains that the area that receives the pepper is number one. The second one is the is wooden, so that's why... Um, Sorry, the bottom part is wooden, so therefore because it's a clicky board, because it's receiving the pepper that's falling in, that's why it can become tamay. The middle part that, that is basically a sifter um, is, uh, is also subject to the laws of tum'ah, and, uh, and it says that even though it is wood and it's flat, the Chachamim made a on, uh, on anything which is a sieve-like thing, uh, because it's similar to a woven thing. And um, and that's why the rabbis made that gzerah. So therefore, that filter that's in the grinder of the pepper is also going to be subject to tum'ah. And then, of course, the thing that crushes it itself, that's made of metal, <laughs> is going to be uh, is going to be uh, subject to tum'ah as well. Well, she says, Mishum klei matachot. Even though it might be made out of wood, the top part, the fact that it's overlaid with metal makes it susceptible to Tum'ah. The wagon of a child, it is subject to the Tum'ah of Midras. If a Zav sits on it, leans on it, or anything else, that could create Midras, which is the weight of the Zav being on the item. Vinitab Shabbat can be moved on Shabbat, but in a Gurerat, it should not be dragged. El Kelim, unless there are other vessels or clothing or whatever under it. We'll explain that in a second. Rabbi Udaomer, Kolakilim, in the Gurin, Chutzman Agala, Neshi Koveshit. All other things should not be dragged around along the floor, says Rabbi Uda, except for this, uh, except for the case of the, um, of the wagon of the child, because it pushes down the ground, but it doesn't actually make any holes in the ground. <coughs> Rashi seems to interpret the, uh, the agala as something that the child actually sits in, like one of those kiddie cars that's fun that the kids ride around in. That's what it is. According to Tosafot, it's more like a three-wheel kind of a tricycle that the, that the child would be learning to walk by leaning on it and walking around. So it's like a walker as opposed to one of these seated items. But the point is that since weight is placed on it, so therefore it's sub- subject to Tumat Midras. And if the child is Tamei because of Ziva or someone else is and they lean on it and sit on it, it will make it Tamei because of Midras, uh, meaning which is a very severe Tumat. Now it says, the reason why the wagon of the child, whether it's something he sits in or leans on, becomes tamay is because he leans on it. He, he puts his weight on it. And it can be moved on Shabbat because it is a kli, it is a vessel. You can only be dragged along if there are cloths or other items underneath it so that it doesn't damage anything. Um, as it goes by, but really the reason is so that it doesn't dig into the ground, okay? In other words, you put the, let's say, sheets or whatever on the ground, so that way, uh, because they were, they were riding over um, raw ground, there was no pavement, so if it went over, it would dig into the ground and damage it, meaning not, not damage it, but break into it and uh, penetrate through the dirt, move the dirt around, that was like a type of a plowing, so that wouldn't be allowed on, uh, on Shabbat or Yom Tov, so you had to put something under it. So it says, "My because you're making a hole in the ground, which is one of the melachot of Shabbat. Either it would be a melacha of <coughs> of uh, of choresh, because you're you're disturbing the ground and you're making you're softening up the land, or it would be a bonet because you're making a hole which is a potentially usable uh, receptacle." 
So then the Gemara says, Mani, Rabbi Yudai, this is the opinion of Rabbi Yudai, that Magadavashin midkaven, Asur, because Rabbi Yudai says that even things that you don't intend for, you're liable for them on Shabbat and Yom Tov, and therefore, even though you didn't intend to make a hole in the ground, the fact that you dragged this Agala along and it made the hole, you're going to be responsible for it, so therefore, you're not allowed to drag it along the ground outside. Because if it were Rabbi Shimon, you were asking, he would say that, that in any case, Bidiavad, it is, you're not liable for it. So don't worry about so much lechatchila. Did not, as we said in the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Gorer Adam Mita Kisev Sasal A person can drag uh, a bed or a chair or a bench as long as he doesn't have the intent to make a dent in the ground, to make a hole in the ground. So, uh, so that shows you that, uh, that we see that uh, that's Rabbi Shimon's position, that since you didn't intend for the whole to be made, you're not liable for it. At the end of the Brayta, it said that Rabbi Yehuda says, nothing can be dragged on Shabbat except for the child's wagon. Because it pushes the ground down, but without making a hole in it. So the Gemara says, um, that it's koveshet, it pushes down the ground, but... It uh, doesn't make holes in the ground. So the uh, uh, so what you see is that uh, seemingly a contradiction. One view of Rabbi Yehuda is that he expected to make a hole in the ground. The other one, not. <clears throat> so Gemara says, There are two opinions of Rabbi Yehuda's position. She says that what it means is, One view is that a, a wagon is just like any other item and you cannot drag it because it will make a hole in the ground because sometimes the wall the wheel gets stuck in it digs in according to the other opinion no really wagons don't normally get stuck or snagged or push into the ground really they just go along the ground so you can give the agala uh, the benefit of the doubt until proven uh, otherwise and you don't have to assume that it digs uh, holes and ditches in the ground. That's a conclusion of uh, the Perik of Yom Tov. And the point being that according to the one that says that, uh, according to Rabbi Shimon, anyway, you could uh, you could move the child's agala anywhere you wanted because you're not liable for anything that happens according to Rabbi Yehuda. The question is, do you have to be worried about that agala digging into the actual ground? Or do you rely on the fact that... Um, do you rely on the fact that uh, it's probably not going to dig? In other words, do you say that it's most likely not going to dig into the actual ground because it just pushes the ground down and therefore it's okay, even according to Rabbi Yudad, to drag that agala because you're not really going to produce any uh, a, a problematic effect? Or are we concerned that it is going to get snagged and dig in to the ground and make holes in the ground? And therefore, since we're worried about that, we're going to have to prohibit dragging the agala unless there's something under it to make sure that it doesn't dig into the ground in those circumstances.